Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, how are you, John? I'm doing well, how are you? Good, welcome to our very special date in which we talk about Genesis 5 and 6. Welcome back. I'm now the unofficial official host. All right. Well, I feel like you were anyway because like <laughs> you were publishing it. Aren't you publishing it on your like main podcast page anyway? Yes. Um, so weren't you kind of already the, the, the person anyway? Yeah. Um, I mean, originally we wanted to make it a separate show, but in order to host it separately, it would need to be on a separate account and set up which i do not want to do at this point because we don't record it often enough for like to justify the expense of that um yeah also you're helping me get back into weekly podcasting because i've been you know renewing my podcasting prowess this year in 2023 And yes. one episode a month is going to be PTA. That's the goal. Wow. So it that. not only is helping us get more regular on these, but it's also helping me get more regular on posting. Yeah. Well, there it is. You will be hearing a lot more from me if you were a listener of the podcast. <laughs> there it is, my love. All right. So we have some things to talk about in these yes. chapters. What stands out to you? Uh, have we mentioned all these dates before? I know we've talked about it. I don't know if we've mentioned it on a recording, but. Yeah, I forget. Like, did we record these chapters and then never publish them? Because I feel like we talked about these chapters already. Uh, I don't know. I guess as long um... as it's not up already, we're not doubling up then. <laughs> I checked, we're not doubling up at all. Um, I don't know what happened to that recording if we did record this, but I def- we definitely talked about it. We talked about like numerology and stuff um, yeah. and how like the dates couldn't, could be like, instead of like years that either they measured or we would measure like specific numbers to describe the characteristics of certain people. Yes, yeah, looking at, Genesis 5, Adam lived a total of 930 years. Let's see, Seth lived 912. It's a long time to be living, so. Yeah, I think, because, you know, like, three is a number that represents the Trinity. It's like a holy number. So Adam lives three times three plus three kind of thing. And then, you know, his son, Seth, his first son, Seth, lives three times three plus three times four so it's kind of like you know it's it's interesting i don't know like if i actually believe it but i think it's one way to start breaking down these years is this also potentially a thing where they live this uh long because they're on a different timeline as us aka on god's timeline compared to the human timeline yeah, definitely, because like later on, um, six, Genesis chapter six, verse three is when God decides 
to set like a term limit on the human life for 120 years. So he like basically decides like, you know, I'm getting tired of humans. <laughs> like I'm going to set their lives shorter than they were. Um, so there's a distinct sort of shift um, in the lifespans of these people. And I think it's really interesting that there's kind of an era that we recognize of Genesis chapter five of literally Adam through Noah and, and then Noah's sons as well. But, you know, it reminds me almost of like when we read Ruth and then we realize like Boaz, like Jesus becomes the descendant of Boaz. You know, there's kind of like these eras in which we follow the lineage of Adam and Jesus, Moses too. So it then I think a big question for me is if we're thinking about these ages in terms of how holy these people are and that they get to live longer because they're more virtuous, does God limiting human life to 120 years mean that God limits how virtuous humans can be? I think the... You mean virtuous in terms of like how many offspring they have? Well, like we've mentioned before that perhaps these, you know, that like Noah didn't live to be 500. He was only written to be 500 to represent how virtuous he was, that he got a longer life. So if we're under like looking at these long lives from that perspective, and now God's in chapter six and the first few verses limiting that does that mean that even the people that left to be the oldest that managed to make it to 120 are these people just inherently less virtuous because god just kind of said that we can't give them any more time on earth any more virtue at all than 120 years worth yeah i mean i don't know whether I would view it like that in the first place. Um, and I don't know if whether like, you know, I don't want to be a heretic or anything, but like if new chapters of the Bible were to be written, you know, today, I don't know if we'd view it like that. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a hard question, right? Because I'm reading James recently and in James, he kind of talks about how we get in our own way a lot of the times. Um, and like that evil stems from our own desire, like desire gives birth to sin, sin gives birth to death. And so it's just, you know, like, it's almost like we are our own worst enemies in that regard. And God is just accommodating that, um, because he sees that trait within us. So I think like in that sense, the way I would interpret it in terms of like the cross textual reading would be that we we have some choice in how virtuous we become you know like god has set us turn limits but that doesn't mean that we can't live virtuous lives and be good people and chosen people what do you think about that like what would you say about an answer to your own question i wonder if this is uh once again an issue of like making sense of why we lose why like why we aren't perceived as 
as virtuous as people like Adam or Seth or um, Noah? Because the rest of chapter six is about God. I want to say like, well, okay. God being very mad at humans for being sinful. So yeah. I wonder if it's less of uh, God telling us that we can't, you know, like, like, even though we can still be virtuous, like less of God telling us we can't be ex-virtuous and more of a, this is why humans aren't as virtuous as Adam was or as Noah was. It's because, you know, God set this limit and suddenly like you know like everyone fell into mortal sin because we didn't have the opportunities anymore um it's not my most thought out answer perhaps it's something to sit with and spend time with but i think it's it's at least one answer to my to my question here yeah i mean i don't know if i agree with you but only in the sense that like this whole question is based on a very shaky premise like you know i'm not gonna i'm like the first to doubt like that the significance of these numbers lies within like a numerological interpretation like maybe it is just like a certain the certain measurement of time that equals a year times like 930 in adam's case um you know so i'm not sure um I just yeah i'm not sure about like whether the question is valid and whether like i mean all questions are valid but you know i'm not sure whether this question has a good basis an affirm enough basis for our, us to look at god's term limits on humans in that way yeah but i do think it's like one thing that i definitely read within that passage verse chapter six verse the first couple of verses um is just like the despair in it all right you know like i don't know to to make a lame like a lame comparison here like if i wrote a book and the book ended up you know disappointing me hugely and i regretted writing it you know that would be a huge devastation for me because i put energy work love and passion into that project and it became a total failure and i feel like you know that's kind of how god is pictured here is the lord regrets that he's made humankind so i definitely take that as you know a believer myself and think oh my gosh like he's regretting his creation in us we've let him down in that sense and you know that's that's devastating um so yeah, I don't know what you think about that interpretation of the same concept. Yeah, I think um, I probably have mentioned this at least once before, if not multiple times, but um, we have both taken uh, Claire Sufren's class in Northwestern, got up to the Holocaust, and one of the main um, things from the, the very start of the class is that Sufren like takes two or three lectures to just look at covenants and to say like this is like, like before we get into kind of the theology of the Holocaust that like this is the covenant that God struck with the Jews this is how it played out this is how people understand it and I think one of the I forget which document this is from. If if you have it off your mind, please remind me. 
but I remember like like there was some passage that we read where like the Jews sinned against God and then God pretty much said like well now you haven't held up your side of the covenant so therefore I don't have to either and it portrays God I think in more of a vulnerable state than I've ever before or since seen God betrayed so I think to hear kind of the same thing where God's regretting it reminds me of that discussion that we had um in that lecture where kind of you know kind of the same thing like like the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose where kind of like, like you see humans drifting away from God and therefore God is starting to kind of do that same thing where he's like well you didn't do your part of our covenant so therefore I regret this and this is before any covenant was struck with the Jews as a people so it, it, it's not quite the same application but I it, it's something that I'm reminded of to have that comparison of God deciding that like well there it is like I tried but now that both sides of the agreement weren't really held up what am I to do but to kind of move on in a sense yeah well first Dr. Supran's class one of the best most influential classes I took at Northwestern hands down um you know, I just, it was so, every, every class period was transformative. Um, and, you know, the sheer just like intelligence and thoughtfulness and the ability to connect um, intertextually, interculturally, you know, all those things really made the class for me. Um, and again, like very influential. There was a mix of people in my particular class of all different disciplines. Like I was a you know, music and linguistics major. And, you know, I had some German in there too. And then, you know, there were people from the School of Communications and, you know, all these different disciplines. There's, you know, people in STEM, things like that. And I think, and again, like all different religious beliefs and things as well, um, even though we didn't, you know, discuss that directly too much. Um, but yeah, like just, that discussion of covenant was particularly influential to my own understanding of religion and the Bible. Um, because you're right, John, like covenant, that concept was originally between individuals and God. Like I would argue Adam in a sense and God. Um, Moses, again, another like person that God makes a covenant with. Um, and then it kind of expands a little bit to a group of people, the Jews. Um, and then it expands again in the New Testament to include all people. Um, and so in that, in that sense, I think that's a really interesting discussion to be had of like, there is a covenant is an agreement at the end of the day. It's a sacred agreement. It's a quote unquote non-infringible agreement. Um, and we never, we never seem to hold up our part of the bargain. And it speaks to God's grace um, that we still have that kind of sense of covenant today. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think there is that vulnerable moment um, 
in God when he realizes like, look, this is a regret of mine and this is something that's sort of destroyed the bond, the relationship in that sense. I want to get to Noah and the flood. Um, so anything that stood out to you about that, I would be very interested to know. Well, I, I straight off the bat, we kind of see the start of, I think, one of the more famous stories of the Old Testament. Um, off the surface, it's a really straightforward section. It's just God saying, you are going to make this boat. Here are the dimensions. Here is what you will do with it. And here's what I will do. Um, and Let's Noah did. He know he does it. He yeah. fulfills yeah. his promise. Um, let's see. Yeah, verses. So I, I, I think the place to start, verse thirteen, uh, is when God lays out to Noah why it's important that Noah must do this, like why it's being commanded. Um, God says that quote, "I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them." I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Um, so it's 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 an interesting um, you know, kind of staying on the topic of a covenant. It's I think to see God yeah. saying, I am destroying people who with whom I have covenants, but you're cool, so you got a covenant anyway, uh, basically. Um, which is an interesting dynamic that that you know despite what's the quote let's see earth is filled with violence because of humans but you know kind of saying you this one specific human still get still get to, to persevere still get to live on and it, it's i think it's really a not only a lesson in trust in noah and like happiness with noah but also um Big lesson in stewardship and what it means to to care for God's creation, not only because God is telling Noah basically that he's uh, favorable because he is not, uh, at the very minimum, isn't as violent as everyone else um, enough to you know be deed unfavorable, but he's also directly charged with keeping all these animals alive and keeping God's creation life, even though the earth is being destroyed. Yeah, I think there is, I like what you said about the lesson in stewardship. Um, that definitely occurred to me as well. And what also I want to add to that notion is that this stewardship that Noah embraces is generational. And I think there's a really clear cut reason why we see this whole lineage from Adam to Seth to Enosh to Kenan and so like, and so forth, so on and so forth, like, you know, to Lamech, who's Noah's father and who was, you know, directly um, sort of charged with being a very faithful person, walking with God faithfully, um, and then also christening Noah. Because Lamech, the way I see it, was he was so close with God. He was so in touch with God. He had such a 
beautiful relationship with him that he knew that his son Noah was going to do something important one day and that he was going to shoulder a great burden. Um, and my question to you, John, is how do we connect with God in the way that Lamech connects with God? In the sense that, again, Lamech knew, you know, that Noah was going to do something that was really important. Um, and he kind of like had the foresight and the stewardship and the understanding to tap into that relationship with God and know those things. So like, how do we simulate or emulate that today? Or is that possible? I think in some sense it's possible. I, I, I think the story of, you know, like, like Genesis 5, uh, the, the long list of like, oh, this man gave, like, like, like this was worse. Seth's son was this person, that son was this person, and just going on the line is, is not only just ages and kind of like, I, I think, numerology or whatever, but also we can see like the, just how in touch with God Noah is, because we can see exactly how we get from Adam, who is, I think, in many senses, before and potentially even after the fall, still very in touch with God. You know, he's, he lit like, like before the fall, he could like lived in the Garden of Eden in perfect harmony with God. He's not only spoken with, but also, I think, you could argue directly seeing God based on the, the chapters that describe the fall. And we can see how that knowledge of God, that intimacy with God, how that connection, that relationship that is so intimate and so direct moves through however many generations Genesis 5 mentions. And I think that the, the numerology argument could play well into this, but we, you know, like, like all of these people maintain the connection and the intimacy that Adam has with God. So to get all the way down to Noah, we, you know, we know that each of these people has that same connection. They're in touch with God so well that they kind of have that sense, you know, that, that Noah's going to do something, something terrific, something amazing. I think yeah, but, if we... Yeah, but sorry to interrupt, but like, you know, today, the reality is that, you know, the way that people access God is different. Um, and we might not have like, you know, a person might today be the first believer in their entire family. Um, you know, they don't have that sense of generational stewardship um, that Noah had. And I think like that's important to mention insofar as like, and, you know, I guess I agree in parts with what you're saying, because there's a way to have that generational stewardship, even if you're a first in family believer, in the sense that you're tapping into your church, you're tapping into other believers, 
you know, there might once, you know, you're more established in your belief, intercultural, interfaith discourse may become important to you. So yeah, I kind of see, I see what you're saying. I still don't agree with the numerology thing. It's just it's yeah, a little too yeah, far out for me. Yeah. But yeah, sorry, go but, ahead, continue. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I do agree that I don't think that today we are, I think we could argue whether we're capable of being as in touch with God as these people. I think more often than not, people aren't, um, or at least aren't as in touch with God as these people are depicted in the Bible, depending on how you want to argue about like direct understandings of the Bible slash like how literal the Bible is. Either way, um, either way, yeah, we're not going to quite hit the mark, whether we're shooting for a literal exact connection or just kind of a depicted. That doesn't mean, I think, that we can't know. That doesn't mean we can't have a sense. Uh, and plenty of Christian traditions have stories of, like, saints, for example, and like, like the Catholic or Orthodox traditions and, and several Protestant traditions where people were understood to have that same direct connection with God. I do, yeah, I don't think that, you know, I, I agree that we're not really going to have the same connection with God as these people do, but I think that we can still have a strong connection. We, you know, like, like whatever it may be, it could be like knowing that, like, like you're, destined to follow a certain like career path or that you're destined mm -hmm. to follow like you know fall in love with a certain person that you're destined to live in a certain place whatever it may be i think to some degree yeah we we still have that same connection and i think it, it it's we need to be arguably more intentional about finding and maintaining that connection and being in tune with it uh, because yes, the ways that we approach faith today are vastly different compared to this, but I don't think that itself means that we can't have connections with God. It's just going to be that those connections are, they look different and we're going to have to come by them differently than these people do. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with what you said. And I think that's an important message at the end there of making sure that we are constantly renewing our ways and methods of connecting with God and um, digging into scripture and digging into prayer and digging into other Christi Christians. Like those are really important things for developing our spiritual relationship and our spiritual maturity um, with God. And so, yeah, I completely agree with you there. I think, yeah, that's really that's something that, you know, I also have to think about like, um, I've been working on prayer a lot recently with my Bible study that I do with a friend and, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it does change my perspective on life and it does change my perspective on things when I have a really involved prayer life. And even as I'm starting to move back into that, um, for example, like I find it easier to focus on the moment and kind of leave things that are out of my control to God and to his systems and his ways 
rather than worrying about, you know, all the craziness that could potentially happen. That doesn't mean that I'm not still working on plans for the future, that I'm not still um, identifying and putting my hands on things that I can control. But that also doesn't mean that I'm completely, you know, laying it up to my own devices plus the world, you know, like it's, it's yeah. not like one or the other, like I'm completely giving up or I'm completely taking control. It's a balance that I think is really hard for me personally to find without that very close relationship and connection with God, especially through prayer. Um, do you have any comments on that? I have one last thing that I want to say before we start to wrap up. Yeah, I, I think it's just, uh, you know, again, no, and the flood of, of where it's God commanded Noah to do all these things. And the, the last verse of the chapter is uh, Noah did everything just as God commanded. So, yeah, it's, it, it's the same thing of, of being in touch with God and kind of knowing where and when to listen to God, but also being able to take action. I possibly with or without God's direct verbal commandment, but yeah, good balance of, 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 of both listening and being in touch with God and also being able to take action. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention before we start to wrap it up is um, I was reading First Kings recently as well. Um, and the construction of the ark, the sort of measurements, the cubits, you know, the three levels of the ark and how kind of how God predetermines every single thing about it. And he kind of just he sets it up for Noah. Noah has to build the ark, but the animals will come to him. You know, he has to worry about the food. But again, like, you know, the animals are going to come to him. I feel like it would be a really tough situation if he had to go out and capture all these animals. <laughs> you know, like yeah. God kind of, um, you know. I won't say by any means that Noah's job is easy, but God also helps Noah and puts his end of the bargain down on the table. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of Solomon building the temple, um, just because like the level of detail, the lot of level of thought, um, you know, how there's sort of a prophecy that gets fulfilled. Even we see this with Lamech, Noah's father, kind of pre- um, saying like, look, Noah's going to do great things. There's kind of that same sense of this is a history. This is a written in stone kind of history that goes step by step. Um, and so, yeah, I, was, I thought that parallel was something that stood out and something that was interesting to me reading again across the text, like First Kings comes obviously later <laughs> than Genesis. Um, but yeah, with Solomon and with David, Solomon's father, um having again similar to lamech a very very close relationship with god david is not allowed to build the temple but in that you know same breath god allows david's son solomon to build the temple and he does so with these very very exacting measures and these really amazing and awesome um like sort of revelations at the end of the day these articulations of um scripture and the architecture of everything that I think um, is, you know, awe-inspiring when you kind of read the text and then put it in your mind visually. Or if you look at, um, you know, models of like God's temple and everything. And it's the same with the, the ark. You know, if you see the real version of the ark that was made, it's like awe-inspiring. It's crazy. One of my favorite facts about 
religion is that not only in the Abrahamic religions, but uh, in like a variety of world religions, all of them have some version of the flood. Um, and not necessarily the ark, but like I think just the fact that that is so present and so prevalent across you know, four, five, six, however many traditions is really cool to see that there's this shared this shared event. Theme. Yeah. And I don't I know there's some in, uh, maybe I'll look this up for the next time we, we, we record that there's some fact about like the arc like like was somehow proven to have existed somewhere or bits of it were found or something like that but and there was an actual flood right like they could trace it back yeah geologically. But, but, yeah like it wasn't the same like around the entire earth but i i off the top of my head i think what the explanation is that there were authors that lived in the same region in the mediterranean that is self-flooded and of course knowing what people knew about the world then they just took it to mean oh the whole world's flooded um so yes certainly the the flood itself did actually happen um and i not a thousand percent sure there's evidence of the ark but i'm kind of sure yeah i, I mean it's, it's, cool. it's amazing yeah it's amazing yeah so also cool. if if anyone is curious a cubit is approximately equal to the length of length of a forearm from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. Thank you, John. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I got that. curious. <laughs> <laughs> we will wrap it up. I love you. I love you. I am excited to record another episode next month. <laughs> All right. See you then. Bye. See you.